Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times. Data with instant analysis of WWE Crown Jewel 2021. It is Thursday afternoon here in these United States and the Silver King is on the mic with none other than vintage Chris Benini to break down everything that happened at WWE's pay-per-view for the month of October and its return to Saudi Arabia for one of these special shows for the first time in, I don't know, over a year, you know, probably 18 months, something like that. Uh, but it was a loaded card this year for WWE Crown Jewel coming into the show. We thought, hey, maybe this may be the one that actually delivers. And you know what? We weren't that surprised at what we got. So we will talk about all of that coming up here on this instant analysis episode momentarily. A reminder, uh, we want to run through this intro quick. Don't forget that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It's all about so please, folks, do me a favor on this fine Thursday. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for me, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, Vintage Chris Manini, and the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop that five-star rating, leave a review, let people know how much you love this show, not just this show, these shows, these instant analysis episodes are most popular shows that we offer. We really hope you guys can take 30, 60 seconds, head on over to Apple Podcasts, tell people why they need to subscribe and listen to Getting Over and make sure you hit that fifth star because you know we are all about the five. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. That's where we post pre and post show polls for pay-per-views. We normally do live kickoff shows ahead of pay-per-views. We did not do one uh, today because obviously Crown Jewel was an afternoon show. It just wasn't going to work out. Uh, we also tweet about every major wrestling program in WWE and AEW. During the week, we post news and do a lot of other fun things on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Now, it may be Thursday afternoon, but this is an instant analysis episode. And because of that, I don't care that it's 5 p.m. Eastern. The Silver King is cracking a cold one. And I am rocking a Copper Point coffee lager from down here in Boynton Beach, Florida. Not my favorite brewery down here. However, my favorite is actually closing down in about two months, which is a really sad state of affairs for the Silver King. But I have a delicious beer here from Copper Point. Like I said, the coffee lager. It's great, Chris. I don't know if you're uh, inviting like I am today, but if you are, what do you have with you? I'm not drinking alcohol right now. I have uh, more work to do today and phone calls to make, so I would rather right. not uh, have you're, some. You're saying, but what I'm drinking alcohol, like I'm doing something like illegal here. It's a singular. I'm a bit of a. I got, I'm a bit of a lightweight. I just I'm a I'm a I'm a skinny guy. It doesn't take a lot to kind of get me buzzed, so I got to just be careful with my intake sometimes. What That's I am fine. drinking is uh, body armor, that sports drink, uh, strawberry banana. I've been getting this instead of Gatorade. It's really good. Really I'll tell you what I had earlier in the non-alcoholic drink version. I went to Starbucks, which I don't do frequently. Uh, and I got a this brand new that they're doing for the fall. Like it's like a caramel apple spiced macchiato iced whatever. I get it decaf with like half as many pumps of the sugar shit that goes in there. But man, it was tasty. So, folks, I highly recommend doing that. I also recently had the peanut butter cup uh, iced coffee from Dunkin Donuts. Again, I'm not a big coffee drinker. I'm telling you, I get both of them decaf. But man, they were really good. So definitely try those before they go out of season. Okay, enough talking about drinks and coffee and all this type of stuff. We're here to talk WWE 
Crown Jewel, and we do have a lot to get to from the show. I want this episode to be relatively speedy, even though we always talk a little bit longer than we expected. Uh, So we need to kind of get started down this path on Crown Jewel. And the way we do that instant analysis style is by going over first the pre-show grades, what we expected from this pay-per-view coming in. And a reminder, in case any of you did not listen to our WWE Crown Jewel Ultimate Preview, there is the opportunity, of course, to go back to pause right now, go back and listen to it. It is in the podcast feed. It's from Tuesday this week. We break down every match on the card, what our expectations and predictions were. But we also provided our expectation grade for the show. The Silver King came in with an A- minus expectation. Uh, Chris was initially at a B+. Plus. Then he listened to my spiel and he decided to come up to me uh, with an A-. minus. And I have to say, we were giving a high expectation grade for this show, despite the fact that historically, these Blood Money in the Sand shows have been terrible. We're talking Ds and Fs. But this card was so absolutely stacked. And in my opinion, WWE making this the only pay-per-view of October basically went ahead and said, we're going to treat this real. We're not going to treat it like just something extra that we're doing for money. We're going to actually try to put on a good product here. That's why I believed in it. And that's why Chris was convinced to believe in it uh, based on you know what I had to say. But I did do a pre-show poll. It was a little bit late, but it nevertheless was a pre-show poll that you guys got to vote in on Twitter at Getting Overcast. And you guys did not agree with us. Uh, 27% of you came in with an A, 44% with a B, 20% with a C, and 9% said D or F. Now, I presume the 9% is because it's the Crown Jewel show, because it was in Saudi. Because if you were judging the card on the merits of the matches that are booked, you cannot be in that D and F range. You just can't. And even though these shows were terrible in the past, again, none of them featured a card like this. So I just don't understand where that's coming from. But e- whether you include it, whether you don't, Chris, the average for that is a B, which is almost a full letter grade below what you and I expected coming in. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I I can understand the the wide range. I can understand a higher D and E because it's, you know, a blood money in the sand and completely legitimate. Uh, if, if you feel that way, a lot of us do. Um, but I'm, I'm surprised so many C's really people who are in the middle ground there. I, I mean, I feel like either you hate it cause it's Saudi Arabia or you love it cause of the card. I'm surprised so many people came down in the middle. Yeah, me too. Um, you know, I think B is a fair grade and, if we were being maybe a little bit more judicious, perhaps we would have gone there. Maybe we would have. You and I arrived at the B plus as you were kind of, you know, initially at. But I just looked at this and I said, man, it has to be in that A range just because the card is so stacked. If one or two matches were not on this card, let's say the Hell in a Cell match with Edge and Seth Rollins, or maybe even the Biggie and Drew McIntyre match, then I would immediately go to that B because it wouldn't have as many potential matches to bring it high, given what we've seen from these shows in the past, where even good matches, an AJ Styles, Shinsuke Nakamura match, I believe was on a couple of years ago, even that one fell flat, right? So if, if those two aren't going to be able to have a good match, then how are Seth Rollins and Edge or how are Biggie and Drew McIntyre going to have the time and the space and the opportunity to have a really good match? Um, you know, not to spoil our post-show grades, which we will talk about at the end of this incident analysis, but WWE straight up proved any pessimism coming into this wrong, at least in terms of match quality. So, Chris, yeah. let's get into the card unless you have anything else to say. You got anything? No, other than just, you know, the whole 
Saudi Arabia show aspect of this. I, I saw some of the numbers beforehand about WWE making, I think, $50 million from each individual one of these shows. The, the propaganda was toned down a bit compared to what it's been in the past. Some of those first shows were, were pretty gross. Um, the whole thing is a bit uncomfortable. And, and again, we said it the last show, but it's not like we're choosing to pay for the show. We already subscribed to Peacock. It's right, just, it comes right. with it, so we watch it. But I would completely understand it. Anybody that doesn't want to be associated with this, because it's um, it's it's a it's uh, it's uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, calling it problematic obviously is an understatement. I will say that over the last, I think, two years, meaning the last three events that they've done, I think they've reduced slash eliminated the propaganda aspect of it. Which again, it doesn't change the fact that they did it initially. It doesn't change the fact. They're taking the money. They're having the show there, but they're trying to put on a more straightforward, just here's a wrestling card, but this is where it's located type of deal and yeah. trying to put on a WrestleMania level performance spectacle for the crowd that's obviously paying for it. And WWE, you know, you know, spoiler alert here, um, put on the best Saudi Arabia show to date by a mile. Like it didn't even mm-hmm. come close. This was the best one. And one of the reasons it was so good and you could it was a noticeable difference. One of the reasons it was so good was the crowd. This was one of the best WWE crowds of the entire year. It seemed to me, Chris, when you saw the camera shots, they didn't have those couches where the Royals yeah. were sitting, taking up a lot of space. There weren't like those big empty areas where there were like guards making sure everything was okay. Fans were watching the show. Fans were littered throughout the first uh, like 15, 20 rows, whatever you could see on the normal camera shot. And then when they panned back, you saw fans all around that. You saw fans lining up and down the ramp. So this to me seemed like it may have been the first show where it was like not for the royal family or or all the quote unquote important people in Saudi Arabia, but the everyman. And it delivered in that way. The crowd was hot. They sold every single thing the wrestlers did with the exception of one match, which we'll talk about later. And I got to give them credit where it's due because- this was on par with a Madison Square Garden, a SummerSlam, a WrestleMania level crowd. They were incredible throughout the entire show. I, I, I'm not going to go as far as saying it was an MSG crowd. Um, this is SummerSlam and WrestleMania that may be a bit a different because it, yeah. it, it, it's a full stadium. It's kind of hard to gauge sometimes, but it was a very good crowd. And I saw some people on on, on Twitter, you know, saying WWE was piping in noise in certain spots when the camera wasn't on the crowd. I I don't know. I honestly I don't even care whether or not they do that. Like, I, I, it's really not a factor. I just want to feel like people care about it. And if it's real or fake, whatever. But this crowd, yeah, looked very into it. A lot of crowd shots of clear of the chance that were being made, you know, that they weren't piped in. So no, it, it, the crowd was very much into this. Well, you know, regarding the pumped in crowd noise, do they do it? They certainly have in the past. Did they, did it, did, yeah. did they do it here? I definitely wasn't paying close enough attention to determine like, whether the crowd was mouthing the exact words that we heard on the screen. But I'll tell you, man, throughout the vast majority of the show, the crowd was loud and making noise to the point yep. that commentary was referring to the crowd saying, oh, wow, there's, you know, yeah, it is awesome, you know, and, and saying all those types of things. Look, I'm not one to, tr- to try to actively put over this particular crowd, but I was very impressed with it, especially compared to other shows, comparing it to Madison Square Garden, probably a really big mistake. I take it back that that was a bridge too far. <laughs> But I do think it was fair to compare it to some of you know, definitely this year's WrestleMania, um, which was not a great crowd in Tampa. SummerSlam was a very good crowd in Las Vegas, 
but it wasn't necessarily incredible. I will say this was on par with some of WWE's best or, or best recent big show crowds, I guess is the best way I can put it. Sure. Yeah. Is no, that it, fair? It, it was good. Yeah. And yeah. another thing about the crowd is like, like you said, the Royals weren't there sitting on couches. I don't know for sure that the makeup of the tickets that were passed out, but as always, you know, there's a difference between having contempt for the government of a country and, and the people of a country. So that's hundred percent. The, the people in that crowd, well. best we know, um, didn't do anything wrong or, or generally don't do anything wrong. They're there to right. enjoy a show. And I was happy to see the kids happy. There were a lot of children yeah. in that yeah. crowd smiling and cheering and, and it felt good to see that. You know what I mean? No matter and, and, what, you're, yeah, yeah. you know, no matter yeah. what you believe it, or whatever. And, 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 you know, that is part of the point of the propaganda. You know, the country wants to put on these events to it make does. people love the country. And it is, but you know, I'm not going to blame a kid for that. Exactly. Okay. Let's actually talk about this pay-per-view. I keep saying yep. that, but we're not doing it. Uh, the universal championship was the main event as expected. Roman Reigns, Versus Brock Lesnar. Now, this was a little weird because when I woke up on Thursday morning, I saw a WWE tweet that said this was had become a no disqualification match. And then we get to the pay-per-view and they're previewing the match and they don't call it a no disqualification match. So why that happened, I have no idea. Obviously, when we talk about the finish, you'll have an idea of maybe what it would have been and what it actually was. Um, but they did that. They, they added a stipulation and then took it away. Again, I don't know why. Uh, Reigns wore a red glove instead of a gold one to the ring. I found that interesting. There was no real. It looks so much better. It, I hate the white one. It looks like it looks like old like hockey gear. It's not pure white. It's kind of gold. It's gold. I don't like the gold. It's, it's not gold. White. It's, it's gold. Weird, but it but it but it's like a pale gold. It's not like a it's not like a shiny gold. I, it's I like gold the red like Max more. Caster's tights in AEW. It's like that yeah. weird yeah. like I've not metallic enough, not dark enough. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway, it was a red glove. He had the the red necklace that he was wearing as well. Um, and he got a big ovation coming out, but the crowd erupted for Brock Lesnar. Brock mm -hmm. looked like a million bucks. He had his ponytail. His beard was nicely trimmed. Plus, he was ripped as usual. Not always, but as usual. Uh, Brock beat on Roman's back, but Reigns delivered elbows and grabbed the ropes to get out of multiple German suplex attempts. Lesnar wore him out with shoulders in the gut in the corner. And Reigns got some offense at ringside, knocking Lesnar off the ring apron with a Superman punch and delivering... An insane Tope Cone hero outside to just level him. It was very impressive. Uh, Reigns then hit a spear for a 2.5 count. Lesnar stumbled around as Reigns hit two Superman punches, but Lesnar leaped over a spear as Reigns ran face first into the middle turnbuckle. Lesnar hit three Germans and an F5, but Lesnar, uh, sorry, Reigns kicked out at 2.99 and the crowd lost its mind. Reigns countered a second F5 into a guillotine, but Lesnar powered out with a spinebuster. Lesnar hit a second F5, but Reigns' body took out the referee when he was swung around. Lesnar picked up and dropped the referee by his belt buckle, only to get speared by Reigns with no one to count to fall. Lesnar was on the ground, kind of writhing around. And he reached out to Paul Heyman. He asked him to give him the title so he could use it on Reigns. But Heyman threw the title in the middle of the ring between both men. And I got to say, really nice aim from Paul Heyman, kind of getting it yeah. <laughs> right where it needed to go. It, it was very impressive. Uh, there was a tug of war with the title, which is a callback spot from earlier back in the day in their feud. And as Lesnar won the tug of war, the Usos ran in, caught Lesnar with double super kicks. Reigns then hit him with the title right to the face. A referee ran into the ring for the one, two, three, as Roman Reigns retained the title in 13 minutes. Was the finish overbooked? Yes. But it doesn't really detract from the match, given that my absolute expectation going in, as we discussed on the Ultimate Preview, was some type of 
either a disqualification or an aided finish. We talked about how Paul Heyman usually doesn't get involved physically. He doesn't pull someone's leg or put them on the ropes, but we thought he may have something to do with it. And ultimately he kind of did have something to do with it. Anyone who came into this match expecting a blatantly clean finish was either fooling themselves or they did not listen to our ultimate preview where we talked about this being the beginning of this new version of the feud and it likely culminating at WrestleMania. It was a really strong match with a great storyline and plenty of psychology throughout, which I always appreciate. They really played up these guys knowing each other well, and the Heyman angle was left unresolved, which was a nice touch. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, you would expect it to be resolved in a match like this. So because of all that, I went with 4.25 stars and an A. I went with 3.5 slabs of beef for this because there's absolutely no question there was beef flying in the ring here. Match would have been higher with a clean finish, but again, I wasn't expecting one. Did it live up to the top three matches on this show, this individual Crown Jewel show? No, but the fact that I gave this 4.25 kind of tells you where we're going here. This was a great match. And speaking of the meat flying, the meat was flying literally over the top rope. You know, Roman did that dive that he does over the top rope, which is always incredible. I didn't even plan that, but it worked out. Yeah, look at that. Yeah, the, these guys, I mean, this is probably the best match these guys have ever had together. And, and a huge part of that was the heel-face dynamic. It's it's completely different when Roman can be the heel in this match and Brock can be the face. It, it, it plays a lot to what they want to do. It means we don't just get Suplex City Brock, the one who's sort of, kind of, sometimes trying to wrestle a boring match because he's the, because he's the, um, the heel. Love the just the way they kind of played off of each other. Brock, when you know when Brock wants to do it, he's one of the best professional wrestlers there is in terms of what he can do, in terms of the ways he can sell. And we got that here. We got that in the way he sold the, the double super kick at the end, the the, the 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 facial expressions he had at the end, that the camera lingered on him when he's sitting in the ring showing that frustration, kind of sending you the message that this feud isn't over. Now that doesn't mean it's going to happen in Survivor Series, but. Uh, I, I think we're going to get more of this, and I think they set it up that way, especially with that finish. Uh, with, with, with Heyman throwing the belt in, I don't know if they did it on purpose or not. I feel like they had to. It felt like a, it felt like a throwback reminder to the tug of war they had before the WrestleMania 31 match, the one that was so panned of, the, of that being the go-home moment of these absolutely, guys kind of pulling absolutely the belt away from each other. That's exactly what and, it was, and, yeah. And we, and we, we got that. Um, so this was great. This was a, a lot of fun. You know, I, I, you were at it too. I think I was at it. The WrestleMania 36 match in New Orleans, 34, whichever one, the one in New Orleans where the crowd was doing beach balls and they were not happy to be there. If this was in front of an American crowd, the place would have been going bonkers. And a big part of that is because they can boo Roman and they can cheer Brock, which is what everybody wants to do. Yeah, it was WrestleMania 34. Um, it was a travesty. The match was actually really good. Like if yeah. you if you muted it and just watched that match, the action was great. There were way too many false finishes and kickouts because I think it took like three F5s to beat Reigns in that match or something like that. But the wrestling and the action and the effort from both guys was really, really strong in that match. But this one, yes, the changing of the heel face dynamic has completely altered this feud. Because coming in, if it was the other way around, you'd say, oh my God, we're really doing Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar again. I can't believe it. And some people out there still have that opinion, which I think is ridiculous because that's just, 
almost like concern trolling. Is WWE really going to do this again, this feud? It's completely different because the guy everyone wanted to boo the first time that we thought WWE would never allow us to boo, not only do they let us boo him, they let us boo him vociferously at this point, right? Like they, they want us to actually hate Roman Reigns and it's working. And as I've said, folks, on this podcast, on other podcasts, when WWE pulls that trigger and they turn Reigns' face, he is going to be monster over. Like he's going to be the biggest face that WWE's had since prime run John Cena when they pulled that trigger. But as far as this match goes, it was very, very entertaining. It was not the best match of the night. I think it was deserving of the main event spot because how could you put these two anywhere else on the card? But WWE made a very smart move because if they booked this as one normally would and that Hell in a Cell match between Edge and Seth Rollins, which we will get to in a bit, if that was the co-main event or if that was the third or fourth to last match on the show, you would be so buzzing and hyped up for it that your energy level would have been depleted for this. Instead, they separated it. They put that match at the front of the show. And basically, they booked this entire card extremely well. The order of the mm-hmm. matches. You guys know how important that is to me. I think wrestling cards should be built like real, you know, pay-per-views like boxing or um, MMA, where you start with the low card and you work all your way to the main event, to the upper card. They did that here. This match banged. Um, I don't really know what else to say. I don't know if you have anything to add, but it was it was really good for what it was. Yes, I wish there was a clean finish. I knew there wouldn't be. No, and, and again, I I think it it feels like this might be the WrestleMania match. I, again, I don't I don't know because I don't want Brock to be the one to take the title off of Roman when that right. moment comes. Right. But at the same time, it feels like they are setting up another one of these. And I am a little concerned that Brock might be that guy at some point. The goal really, really should be for someone else to take the title off Reigns with that yes. boosting that person, putting them over. Um, the problem is when you look at SmackDown right now, that person ain't there. Now, someone could win the Royal Rumble from Raw and and be that person, and that's fine. Uh, The other situation is you could have Reigns lose the title, maybe because of Brock even factoring in, distracting him or something, well before Mania, where you have Brock and Reigns at WrestleMania, not for the championship, which you guys know I would love, because I don't think Lesnar should ever have the title, and I don't think you need a title for Reigns-Lesnar. There's a baked-in feud there. Um, But this was really good for what it was, and it was a legitimate main event for the show. Now, the co-main event of the show, impressively, I must say, was the women. It was the SmackDown Women's Championship, Becky Lynch versus Sasha Banks versus Bianca Belair. Maybe it was my pessimism, but I thought this was going to be way earlier in the show. I did not think they were going to give this prime billing or anywhere near the time they gave it simply because of the location. That was not the case. Um, You know, Lynch cut a promo backstage before the match, angry over talk of her losing the title without being pinned and ensuring she was going to not fall for anything from the other two women, no shenanigans. The women all wore full body gear with t-shirts over the gear. It's one thing, I think, for to wear the head-to-toe gear. It's kind of another to just throw a t-shirt on top of it. I know it, why they do it. They want to ha- hide all of their curves and the parts of the body that may attract men. Um, you know, again, disagree with it, of course, culturally, uh, but it looks weird also. You know what I mean? Like it just, it looks weird for three women to be wearing bodysuits plus t-shirts. It, it, it's strange. Um, as far as the match goes, Belair used Banks as a weapon into Lynch before hitting a fallaway slam. Then she pressed and dropped Banks uh, with one arm. It was pretty impressive. Uh, Banks was holding her other shoulder, but the look of it was really cool. 
Becky hit Sasha draping on the ropes with a leg drop for a near fall. Lynch hit two Beck exploders for a double near fall, but the challengers caught her in a flying, um, I think she was trying for a flying senton. They caught her midair. It was a really funny spot with Becky begging them not to drop her. They did a buckle bomb. Belair and Banks traded pinning combinations and counters before Sasha hit three amigos to a huge ovation. Bianca dodged a frog splash, so Sasha hit Becky with a meteora. Belair caught Lynch with a spinebuster for a near fall. Belair used Lynch as a weapon before Becky avoided a KOD, but ate a gutbuster instead. Belair hit an insanely impressive power lift brainbuster before both dodged her handstand moonsault and then locked her in the bank statement and disarmed her simultaneously. She got out of that. Sasha hit a backstabber and bank statement on Becky, but Bianca broke it with her handstand moonsault for two near falls. There was a really good sequence with the braid that they used. Uh, then Becky hit the manhandle slam on Sasha before Bianca broke it up. Belair countered the manhandle only for Lynch to use her braid to beat her in the corner. Belair used her strength to avoid a sunset flip powerbomb. Then Lynch jumped off the announce table for a huge clothesline, knocking both women down outside the ring. Becky hit a double underhook slam on Bianca, then a double disarm her on both women simultaneously. Belair like stood up while that was happening, putting both women on her back to power out. Then she ate a backstabber from Banks. Banks picked Lynch up for a KOD. Sorry, Belair picked Lynch up for a KOD, but Sasha fully interrupted her. Becky then caught Sasha running back into the ring uh, to attack her with an inside cradle and with her free hand, grabbed the bottom rope on the referee's blind side for the one, two, three to retain the title. So this went 20 minutes and it was just fantastic. I try to shorten my match descriptions, but so much <laughs> happened here. It was very difficult to do so. The finish without a title change was a surprise to me, but Becky is a heel. She cheated like a heel to get the win. Belair not factoring into the finish was nice. We were concerned about that on the ultimate preview. She just recently got beat. Losing a second time would have really sucked, especially considering Lynch is going to remain the champion and both of them are going to be on Raw. Sasha's going to be on her own on SmackDown. This could have been better in spots, no doubt, but it was a damn good women's wrestling match. One of the best women's triple threat matches I've ever seen. I call back to yeah. Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair versus Asuka in that TLC match. That was incredible. Oh, yeah. This was up there. I'll say 4.5 <coughs> stars and an A with a stronger finish and some actual false finishes like near pinfalls. This could have been a five-star match. It wasn't 4.5. Yeah, no, I mean, you laid it out pretty well. I, I saw some people on Twitter complaining that it was, that, that they were sick of Becky versus uh, Charlotte and that they do it too much. Like, first off, she's been gone for a year and a half. We, you know, it's, it's not like we've gotten a, a, a ton of this stuff. And I did pick Becky to retain, um, in part because she lost on Friday and in part because of the, kind of the way the champion thing is set up. Um, but this was great. All these women have such good chemistry together. And we talked about it on the on the, the, the Tuesday show about how to do re women's wrestling and how not to do women's wrestling. Like you yes. compare the way the queen, the queen's crown tournament has been done compared to what they do with the main event with the champions in the women's division is two completely different things. And this is what great women's wrestling can be. They main evented the last two TV shows, Raw and SmackDown. Um, coming coming into this, so uh, th th this is just absolutely tremendous, tremendous wrestling. Now that just kind of leaves us with the situation of we've got a Raw superstar who is a SmackDown champ, and the reverse at the moment with Charlotte. For sure. The question is, Chris, what do you think is going to happen with the titles now? I think they're going to trade them. 
or rename them, which I talked about a couple weeks ago, which is what I think they should do. Raw and SmackDown Women's Championships put them in a really tough spot. It, it, it makes it more difficult to handle the lineage and, and the reign. I don't think it's a good idea to trade them. But at this point, I'm wondering if that's what they're going to do. Because if, if even if Charlotte loses, it, it's what? Charlotte Bianca on Monday, right? Well, no, no, no. I, I think I suggested it should be. I don't think oh, they okay. booked that, though. That, okay. Then I, I think it's going to end up being a, a trade. And I don't think it should be. I think they could rename it rename the lineage of the titles or, or something would be the better way to do it. But take I'm the SmackDown title, trade. call it the WWE um, women's championship. Take the other one, call it the universal women's championship. The Raw Yeah. Women. Or the world women's. Yeah. Just use like the, the way they used to do it. So well, we'll no, see. you do that but, because they're going to be on the respective brands with those titles. Right. Universal, but, yeah. Right. Y- yeah. Yeah. So th- that, that works too. That's fine. Just, just don't do a trade. I think between those two options, changing the names is by far the best. And honestly, even if that doesn't, if, if it's not simple, a simple rename and they do something else, they should still rename the titles, like calling them by brand specific champions when that's not the case for the men, at least for the singles titles and for the uh, for the world titles. I'm sorry, in the mid card titles, it's really kind of ridiculous at this point. So they definitely should do that. I'm not that you know positive on it. I think they're just going to flip them. I think yeah, Charlotte's going to end up being on Raw and Becky's going to just kind of say, give me my title or vice versa. Um, I think I think I may have seen something about they they promoted Charlotte for SmackDown. Obviously, the, the season premieres start Friday. So that's her new brand. So obviously, she's going to be there. Maybe we get Becky on SmackDown. And if so, maybe they literally just trade them, just like we saw last year with the tag team titles. That sucks, not only for kayfabe and storyline, that you can't come up with something better than that, but lineage too. It totally screws things up because you don't have anyone lose the title, yet they're vacated, and then someone else automatically starts as champion without winning a vacated title. So that whole thing was messy with the tag team titles. I really hope they came up with something better this time for the women's titles. As far as the match, just to kind of wrap it up though, I just thought it was fantastic. Uh, This is what the WWE women's division can do. We saw it in the main event of SmackDown and Raw. The women, the, the top tier women in this company are incredible wrestlers. The problem that WWE has is the mid-card and low-card women are also really good wrestlers. They just don't get the time to be really good wrestlers. I mean, we, we'll talk about Queen's Crown later. We saw flashes of it in this match with Zelina Vega and Dewdrop, and it still ended in six minutes. And we're just like, oh, man, like maybe this could have gone somewhere, you know? Yep. These two, Piper Nevin and, um, sorry, Zelina, Zelina Vega, Vega, they had a 17-minute match in Worlds Collide a couple of years ago. They can go, you yep. know? Those two specific women have done this. Um, and again, the, the, their match wasn't bad. We'll, we'll talk about it in a bit, but yeah. seeing, they, the, they, the, the, seeing the dichotomy between the two, it's really disappointing. Yeah, I, I mean, they've been giving a lot of time to the top women these past couple weeks because it's Charlotte, Becky, Bianca, Sasha, like just nonstop. That, that makes sense. I'm, I'm hoping now that they're going to be split up and 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 those mid-card women will now be higher up on their respective brands that we can get more of this for them. All right, so let's keep on going here. We have the WWE Championship, Big E defending against Drew McIntyre. McIntyre hit a huge release belly-to-belly suplex at ringside, then a really cool jumping spine buster for a near fall. Big E hit his belly-to-belly suplex inside, but McIntyre countered a running splash with two more toss suplexes and a neck breaker. Big E then hit another belly-to-belly and the running splash for a near fall. A Mishinoku driver from McIntyre got a 2.5 count. E caught the challenger with a Uranagi for a near fall, then a backslide 
near fall after eating a Glasgow kiss, and the crowd was going wild for this. Big E kicked out after a Future Shock DDT, then caught the Claymore midair into a powerbomb. It was a really cool spot. He put McIntyre in the stretch muffler and caught him when he tried to counter with the big ending for a surprising 2.9 count. Big E tried an avalanche version of the big ending when McIntyre countered it into a flying bulldog for a near fall. E dodged the Claymore, but when he tried to spear McIntyre out of the ring, the tope spear he normally does, McIntyre jumped inside the ring and hit a Claymore for a 2.9 false finish that got the crowd screaming and chanting during this match. McIntyre tried for the big ending himself, but Big E slipped out of it, caught McIntyre running off the ropes and rotated him in his arms, like tornado style, like a tornado DDT, put him on top of his shoulder, hit the big ending and got the win as the house erupted after a 14 minute match. Big E then talked a lot of shit about just getting started and Drew was a road bump uh, and all that type of stuff. And then McIntyre gave him like a pretty corny, but also solid thumbs up uh, from the ramp to kind of end the whole segment. Man, this was an insane match. Uh, mm-hmm. We knew these two would bang, but it was well beyond my expectation. This is a very rare work rate version. Oh, we got two big meaty men bumping meat tonight. Of big meaty men bumping meat. And Big E got to show out in every possible way. The false finishes here really took it to another level. And the awesome big ending finish took it over the top for me. I went 4.5 stars with an A for this and four full slabs of meat. Yeah, I, I agree with both of those rankings. It's not it's not my number one meat match yet. We'll get to, we'll get to the one I think is number one uh, in terms of meatiness. But I, this was one of the matches I was most excited for because it was a fresh matchup. It's not something we've seen much, if at all. I can't even remember. And I was we we know Drew for a big. Both of these guys are athletic for big guys, and they can do stuff like a Michinoku driver <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And it's just it's the kind of it's the kind of wrestling. Frankly, you don't see anywhere but WWE Land of the Giants with, with guys who are these big, this big, doing these kinds of things. This was a heck of a lot of fun. Um, the the ending it was Biggie talking shit, but it was also saying it was also he was being respectful of Drew, being like you've got it, but it wasn't tonight, stuff like that. And Drew with the thumbs up, he he had the thumbs up, but he also looked kind of sad, and and I think that added to the moment because he once again failed to win the WWE Championship, and now he's going off to uh, uh, he's going to SmackDown now, which is oh that's who Reigns might put over. Sorry. I was trying to think right. like who it, who it would be over. Yeah, there. that would be the only one. But I don't. He's even, the one. I, I it, yeah. it, it 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 can be Drew. I guess I wouldn't hate it. I guess, but but yeah. Or he so, doesn't need um, it. He doesn't need it. He's established. Exactly. That's what yeah. I'm saying. He doesn't need it. So we'll see. But um, yeah. I, again, I was excited for these two guys who could do some special things and who don't often wrestle each other, and they absolutely delivered. They did, and that's the truth. Like, you know. You get a match like this, and we talked about it on um, on the Ultimate Preview. We're like, man, this is not something we've really seen before, yet it has the opportunity to completely deliver. And I love the idea of, you know, even though I hate that they did the draft and then they made us wait three weeks for the rosters to kind of shake out, the idea that you could quickly put a few together, that despite 
Um, for most cases, obviously Biggie is new to the brand because he won the championship and he was a SmackDown superstar. But maybe you find a feud that you just didn't get to over the course of the entire year, right? Ricochet is a good example. Like Ricochet never really got a chance to do much on Raw over the past year. But if you have this crown jewel event and it's going to precede new roster changes, like let's say they start doing this regularly, the idea of like taking the WWE champion and throwing him in a feud with that person who he's just never feuded with ever, but are they're also not going to be on the same brand anymore going forward. That's a really cool idea. And that's what mm-hmm. we got here. Knowing McIntyre was going to leave, we knew Big E was going to retain the title. It wouldn't have made sense for them to change it, but that didn't affect the match quality. It was still an incredible match. There were moments of doubt when he hit that Claymore stepping inside the ring. I mean, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe they're going to change the title. It was a great false finish. And we still got Big E winning at the end. So this totally delivered. This was um, one of three matches on the show that I thought over-delivered expectation. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. The other one of those matches, or, or the second of those three, is Seth Rollins versus Edge inside Hell in a Cell. Edge broke the chair bar very early in the match, but Rollins thwarted his attempt to use it, dragging him outside and throwing him into the cell. Rollins wore a chair out on Edge's back, but he tripped him up and got him in a regular crossface until Rollins grabbed the chair bar and stabbed Edge in the face. Rollins came back with a rolling forearm into a chair and a frog splash for a near fall. Rollins set up a table outside, raked Edge's eyes, that's a tongue twister, and hit Christian's unprettier on Edge, which I thought was a really nice touch. Rollins then went for a moonsault when Edge pushed him off the ropes into the cage, and then he came down through the table at ringside in a truly inventive and super creative spot that we have never seen before. Edge brought steel steps into the ring and hit the Edge-O-Matic on top of them. Edge then jumped off the ropes, driving a chair into Rollins atop the steps for a near fall. Rollins countered a spear with a super kick and then hit the pedigree, but did not cover immediately for a 2.8 count. Edge caught Rollins for a buckle bomb and came back with his spear, but was also a bit slow and got a 2.8 count. Edge stuck a ladder in Rollins' face and then set it up in a corner, but got whipped into it. Rollins then put Edge on a table and climbed the ladder. Edge caught Rollins on top, but Rollins took him off of it with a sunset flip powerbomb through the table for a stunning 2.9 count. Rollins then pulled off, uh, pulled out the toolbox reminiscent of the Fiend match and wrapped a chain around his foot. He super kicked Edge on his knees with the chain, then tried for a stomp, but Edge countered it by standing up a chair like straight up. And when Rollins came down, it just nailed him right in the groin. Edge came back with two super kicks, unwrapped the chain and pulled uh, him back in the mouth with it, like to do the crossface style move. Rollins then went to grab a wrench that was on the ground. Edge stole it away, put Rollins in the crossface, put the wrench between his mouth, uh, between his lips, teeth, whatever, uh, before releasing it when Rollins would not submit immediately. Edge then set up a chair under Rollins' head and hit the stomp to beat Rollins with his own finisher in 28 minutes. This was an absolute banger. One of the best Hell in a Cell matches of all time, probably top three. Um, You could make an argument it's better than some of the classics that we talk about just because we remember the spectacle of The Undertaker throwing mankind off the top. We remember the greatness of The Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. Those were such special matches. You could argue some of the things done in this match were better to some degree, not than throwing mankind off the top, but some of the other things. 
But still, <laughs> this is in that top tier pantheon. Edge wrestled like he was 35 years old. All of the spots here were incredible. It did get slow in the middle and the finish was a bit messy, but those are minor gripes. The right person won in an incredible match. The finish with Edge wanting retribution on the stop, stomp, I'm sorry, that got him on a uh, stretcher out of Madison Square Garden made a ton of sense. And I loved that it opened the show with a literal bang. It's easily one of my favorite matches of the entire year, any brand, and on par with what we would expect from these two wrestlers. You booked the damn good one, Vince. 4.7, five stars, and an A-plus from the Silver King. Yeah, I, I didn't catch all of this match uh, with my full attention because I was on a press conference for something for college football. Um, but but I was following it. I had it on without sound sometimes and, and reading the reaction on Twitter, and, and I caught the the end of it fully engaged. And man, holy cow. I Every time I think I'm done with, with Seth and Edge, they put on a match and I'm like, oh, right. I actually, I, I forgot how much, <laughs> actually how great this actually is. Every, every time, all three of their matches, I think it's three, three, four, however many, three. Three. I think it's three. three matches. Madison Square Garden, Summer Slam in this one. All of them were tremendous, man. They just took it up to another level every single time. Edge looks as good as he's ever looked. Like, ever. It's wild. And the, 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 the promo video package before this one was great. Uh, everything about this absolutely delivered in every possible way. I, 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 Edge, I think, kind of missed the stomp at the end, but more maybe more on Seth kind of hitting it. But uh, uh, this was this was so good between these guys. It was really fantastic. Um, just top to bottom, great. And by the way, just kind of retrospectively looking back on the feud, whereas the Rey Mysterio feud went on way too long. This was actually perfect. Um, the fact that it was exactly three matches, all three were in really big spots, and it seems pretty clear this is the end of it. Like they really made it a point in promos and even in previewing and, and the commentary after the match to kind of say this was it. Well, it is it. And it was great. This is going to be, you know, in that final list in the awards category for feud of the year, as far as I'm concerned. Three great matches, a ton of great promos. Um could Rollins have go gone to Edge's house? Could that have been better? Sure. Yes, it could have. Uh, I still, you know, I still think Seth should have ripped up some of the kids' art. That's the only thing. Yeah, you, you easily put fake kid art there, and he <laughs> tears it up. I mean, obviously, it's what you do. So there were just a couple misses along the way, but no feud. Any feud, any brand, any company is going to be perfect. But these matches all delivered. I would really have to go back and look. I think I gave all of them four point five stars or better. This one so close to five stars. I mean. You could give mm -hmm. it five stars. I would not argue with you at all if you did. Um, I just look at, you know, what else I've given high grades this year. The Daniel Bryan and Roman Reigns stuff. Uh, the triple threat at WrestleMania. The women's match at WrestleMania. I don't know that this was necessarily better than any match that I've ever given five stars to. So I couldn't really go there. Or as good, I'm sorry. So I couldn't go there, but man, it was close. Um, match yeah. of the night. Match of the week. I thought it was going to be Daniel Bryan and Minoru Suzuki. It snuck in. Um, you know, from Friday to Thursday, that's seven days. It snuck right in at the end as the best match of the week. I just, it was, and it was an incredible opener. And you know what, Chris, it also really set the stage to tell us this is not your, I was going to say fathers, but this is not the old Saudi Arabia shows. We're actually going to put on a good pay-per-view tonight. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I picked, uh, I think I'm pretty sure I picked Seth 
to win this. I, I, and I think you incorrectly Seth picked win. Seth. That is correct. I did. I, 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 th- I thought Seth would win. Edge would take a break and come back maybe for a Rumble season or not. Um, now that he won, I'm, I'm curious where they both go because they're both going to Raw. You know They are. So theoretically, this is the end of it, but I, I'm curious where each one goes next. My expectation is we don't see Edge. He just, he won, he goes away. And him being out allows Rollins to kind of on Monday come in, make excuses or... You know, say, hey, I took I took the legend to his limit. He said, I'm just like him. I'm not edge light, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then he moves on. That's my expectation on how this is going to go. I wouldn't be surprised if Rollins winds up being Biggie's first major challenger after Survivor Series. Yeah, I, I'd love to see that. Yeah, it's very possible. All right, let's keep going. We had Bobby Lashley versus Goldberg. Now, this was booked as a no holds barred match. Before Ooh. the pay-per-view, they added a stipulation of falls count anywhere. Lashley also. This also, also, despite what Goldberg said, no holds barred does not mean you have a license to kill. There was no, no murder allowed. Correct. You, you cannot kill. And we also, just a spoiler alert here, did not get Sunberg. Apparently, he could not make the trip to Saudi, which the whole feud was about him, or the second half of the feud was about him. Didn't even see him during the match. Uh, Lashley pulled the chain out of his pants before the bell, which is pretty funny, wrapped it around his hand and beat on Goldberg. Lashley set up a table in the corner and chopped Goldberg's knees out. Uh, Lashley wrapped the chair around Goldberg's knee and stomped it off the ropes. When Lashley went to spear Goldberg through the table, Goldberg dodged it and Lashley crashed right through. Goldberg came back with a spear and hit a solid enough jackhammer. And credit to him because Lashley's a huge dude. He pulled that off, um, but chose not to go for the fall, uh, knowing it was no holds barred and knowing he could give him more punishment. Goldberg limped, selling the knee and speared Lashley through the barricade at ringside. Then he separated the steel steps and put Lashley's head on the bottom one but Lashley dodged being sandwiched between them. Lashley started walking away when the Hurt Business joined him on the ramp with kendo sticks, which was an awesome sight. And I I can't speak to it, Chris. I saw people making Star Wars comparisons, you know, with the kendo sticks, you I can't, guess, with lightsabers. You can't but. speak to it. You've never seen a lightsaber fight? No, I have, but I don't know if there was a specific three-on-one lightsaber battle or something like that. I, I don't. Oh, yeah. And actually, there was in, in episode uh, episode three. Okay, so uh, don't, don't criticize me. I, I set you up to yeah. explain it. What are you yeah, doing? Yeah, I am explaining. Yeah, I'm not. I'm explaining it. I'm, you I'm said, well, you're like, you never saw a lightsaber battle. I'm like, no, I'm not. Well, no, of course you I didn't have. mention the three on one. I'm saying there, I'm saying there has been a three on one. And it, uh, it, the two of them were dispatched pretty quickly, just like this. So there you, okay, there you go. Thank you. You're welcome. I gave you the nice setup for Star Wars. That's what uh, I'm here for. <laughs> Goldberg quickly took out Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin, like you just said, then beat Lashley with a kendo stick. And Lashley was standing on like the edge of the ramp and Goldberg spears his ass off the ramp through three tables at ringside. And I looked, I did not see a crash pad there, at least not on top of the tables for the one, two, three. Look, credit where it is due. This was pure unadulterated. Big meaty man slapping me. <laughs> I mean, you know what Vince was thinking when he saw this. There's a lot of beef out here. These guys banged. Lashley sold his ass off. It, it was no work rate masterpiece or anything like that, but it was a really good big man match and probably Goldberg's best match in what? Three to four years at this point? Um, it how, went about, 12, how, about, it, it, how about ever? I mean, I, mean, I, don't, I don't know about ever, but I, I, it's got the Lesnar match the best, was like, better. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, this was, that, that was, that was surprising in the moment. No, but the, the this, WrestleMania match was better. Yeah, no, I know, I know. It was that was still about five minutes. To me, this one, this had more of a. I like this one more. I love this match. Fair enough, fair enough. 
Uh, it went 12 minutes, which was three minutes longer than I expected. I guess yeah. nine. And the Falls Count Anywhere stipulation ended up being a great addition because the finish was awesome. The replay of it, the spear that was shown after the match was even better than the original angle. Um, screw it. I don't care if you judge me. 3.5 stars and a B. 4.5 slabs of meat. It was awesome. Yeah, I, I was going to give this four stars. and, and You do whatever you want. Yeah, yeah in, in 4.5 uh, meats as well. This was definitely the meatiest of the of, of the one, and we now we, we got two meaty men flying off the stage. I I don't think Gold, I don't think we've ever seen that from Goldberg or Lashley. I mean that that whole thing was was wild. Goldberg got the jackhammer up. He didn't. He was limping a bit, but I think he was just selling. He was selling. Yeah. Um, and and he got yeah he, he got the jackhammer. He didn't botch anything major. He looked great. You know I've always said on this that like I love. Goldberg, I love everything about Goldberg except when he's doing the wrestling. I, I, I enjoy his promos. I enjoy just his presence and his intensity. Um, but but the matches have been pretty terrible. And this is why people got so furious about his title reigns when it's just spear, spear, and you're done. Because you can do this. He can he can do a 10-minute... Just let him do actual fighting for a little bit. You don't... Like, they're booking it a two-minute match. We know he can go a little bit longer than that. And so I'm glad they finally did. This is the kind of thing we've always wanted to see out of him. If you're going to bring him in, do something with him. What's the point of bringing him in and doing three spears on the Fiend and he wins a title? Like, that's that's why we're so offended by it. As At least at least try. At least, at least to have him put forth an effort. And he did here. And this was great. This was so much fun. This blew away expectations more than anything else on the card. It did just because it was so much better than the mediocre match that we kind of expected, even though they had a good match. What was it at Money in the Bank? Or I don't remember what pay-per-view it was, but they are Extreme Rules, uh, maybe. Yeah, I think Extreme Rules. But they had a good match. No, no SummerSlam, SummerSlam, SummerSlam. Oh, that was SummerSlam, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was wow, SummerSlam. Okay. Um, so that was a good match. That exceeded expectations. This one was even better. Whether you think this was Goldberg's best match since coming back to WWE or not, or you agree with both of our grades, the one thing that is absolutely true, this was the best usage of Goldberg since he's come back to WWE. You have to remember the first time, even though I liked the Goldberg Brock Lesnar match, he took the title off Kevin Owens, which ruined the Kevin Owens, Chris Jericho, WWE championship feud that was set for WrestleMania. And it just got convoluted. Then he beats the fiend for the title. Then he ends up facing, uh, he was supposed to face Reigns. He ends up facing Braun Strowman and losing to him in front of nobody. And that's not to mention all the other Saudi shows where he was dropping people on their heads, got concussed, wasn't being safe Mm -hmm. in the ring, all that type of shit. Here, they gave us the title match at SummerSlam. People were concerned he was going to win the title. I actually was somehow optimistic they wouldn't do it. They gave us a a slightly BS finish. It was a DQ, but it got really exciting. They did the thing with Sonberg. And now here we come. They use Goldberg in a non-title match and it's the best or the second best match of his run because you do not need to only use Goldberg and Edge and Brock Lesnar in title matches. These guys do not need to be around the title picture. Now, Edge being around it, fine. That's a little bit different. Lesnar, occasionally, sure. But he does not need every match that he fights to be a championship match, just like Goldberg doesn't. And this match proved that point. They created Mm -hmm. a storyline. They paid it off and Goldberg looked really damn good in the match. You got to give credit where it's due here. So yes, do I love, do I love Goldberg? No, I don't. 
Did I love this match? Yeah, I kind of did. It was a big shocker to me. Yeah, no, credit credit to all of them. Credit to the big guys going off the stage, man. I mean, I mean that's something you know they just they they they're not used to doing that. So I'm that not doing I'm not doing that. That was a heck of a yeah. finish. Don't ask me to do that shit. I ain't doing it. All right, uh, let's move on. Let's talk King of the Ring and Queen's Crown. We'll start, of course, with King of the Ring. Finn Balor versus Xavier Woods in the final. Balor blocked the step through DDT with a double stomp and a sling blade for a near fall. He added another sling blade before Woods countered the running dropkick with a super kick for a near fall. The crowd was loving it. Woods got a small package for a 2.9 count. He uppercut Balor on the ropes and took him off with a superplex for a near fall. Balor blocked Woods' tightrope elbow drop with his knees, adding a sling blade and a missile dropkick. Woods then dodged the coup de grace and got a 2.9 count again on an inside cradle. Woods added a gut buster and then hit his tightrope elbow drop for the squeaky clean win. One, two, three in the middle of the ring in nine minutes. Woods got out of the ring. He slowly put on the crown and celebrated as he got a huge uh, ovation. A lot of cheers from the crowd. As far as the quality of the match goes, it was okay. I expected a lot more from these two, and not only did they only get nine minutes, which was a disappointment, but it wasn't nearly as intense as I expected. Both of these guys have put on individually better singles matches recently, like within the last, I mean, Balor had a better one against Sami Zayn like this week, um, and Woods has had a better match like in the last month or two. So I was a little disappointed about that. This should have at least gone 15 minutes. The show was long, but it was under four hours. So this could have definitely gotten another five. So look, I'd love to say this was a four-star match or in that range. It just it just wasn't. It didn't live up to that. It was 3.5 stars and a B. The potential was there for more. As far as Woods winning, come on. So freaking happy for this guy. King of the Ring, longtime listeners of mine, you guys know, it is one of my favorite WWE events. I talked yeah. about it all the time when WWE wasn't run it, running it. It is such a easy way to juice people up, create storylines, and, and make matches for television that actually matter. This King of the Ring event was successful on its own individually. And for Woods, he has always wanted to win King of the Ring. They didn't do it cheap. He beat Balor's ass clean, and he got his moment in the sun. By the way, this was also the first ever singles match on pay-per-view for Xavier Woods in WWE. Not only did he win, he won King of the Ring doing it. We both thought it made more sense for Balor to be king. But the truth is, he doesn't really need it. This is Woods' first singles accomplishment of any stature in WWE. And man, I am extremely happy for him. Yeah, I didn't know that stat about Woods and singles on pay-per-views. I guess it makes sense. Never had one before. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, the, the match was okay. It, it, it was, it was, yeah, you just, you, you expected more because you know both of these guys are, are really talented. So, um, you know, it wasn't bad by any means. It, it, it was solid. I think we just, we had some high expectations. Again, it's a fresh matchup that we don't ever see. That was part of it. That was part of the excitement too coming into it, just like Big E and, and, and Drew. So, um, it was good. And, and yeah, so happy for Xavier Woods to, to win it. Um, he, he's a guy who obviously this is his big thing. This is kind of what we wanted to make the story within the new day about this is his world championship. I just wish he kind of got to do it in front of an American crowd. I wish the new day got to come out and celebrate it with him in the moment where he won. I think both of the celebrations were kind of anticlimactic and a lot of that's probably because Saudi Arabia show, but it, it kind of caps a, a tournament that was a little bit 
strange. Um, it was much better than the women's tournament in, in a way it was set up. But in the end, I'm glad they brought it back. I hope this is something they do every year. Um, uh, and and yeah, you just you just you're happy for them. So this was this was awesome. I loved it. And I I don't think Finn is hurt by this at all. No. Honestly, I don't think no. I don't think anybody who lost this mat these matches are hurt in any way because part of it is because it was a middle of a Thursday. You know, th- this was. I know it's presented as a big card, but they're not. This is not a Sunday night. You're not going to have the same amount of viewers. It's going to be in one out the other. You know, they'll reset Finn when he gets to, to Raw now, and this will just be completely forgotten, and it's fine, which is perfectly fine. But it's not even that. In wrestling, losers and matches, it's okay. You have to have a winner. Yeah. You have to have a loser. AEW has proven this. NXT, for a large part, has proven this. New Japan proves this all the time. People win. Other people lose. If you're going to book a match, someone has to win and someone has to lose. So it's okay. And look, I think Finn Balor was hurt way more by the demon bullshit and how that thing finished than this. He lost a match. It's okay. I don't care if it was Thursday, if it was primetime Friday, uh, if it was at WrestleMania. You can lose a match and be totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. Is Xavier Woods an established singles wrestler? No, right? But this is also a guy who beat Bobby Lashley this year. Let's not forget. And he never Mm -hmm. got a WWE championship match after it. So he was totally deserving of it. It's awesome. All hail King Xavier Woods. Um, You know, we've been rooting for him this entire time to see someone who loves King of the Ring as much as I do win King of the Ring and knowing how good of a guy he is and knowing that when you look at New Day now as a group, you know, two of the three members have WWE championships. The other one has a King of the Ring crown combined. They have, you know, however many tag team championships, multiple mid-card titles, um, there's a money in the bank there. Uh, there you know, there's mul- there's two triple crown winners. Uh, I think Kofi's a grand slam winner also. I mean, it's ridiculous. Like this is an all-time yeah. group. It may be the greatest it, it, of all time at this point. Yep. Yeah, group, team, not faction. Not for factions me. WWE, or, WWE yes. considers them a I faction. Know. But WWE calls them factions. But either way, they are an all-time group, which is awesome to see. Um, and, 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 and another thing, the whole point of King of the Ring is to elevate people and you know they didn't in certain moments of this tournament but xavier woods is the kind of guy who should win this tournament it's not supposed to be a a world champion or something like that it's someone who can have more singles matches now i I know i I think kofi and and xavier are going where now are they on the side that has all the tag teams Oh, man, I don't, I don't even remember, remember what it's. I, I, remember, I, I believe but, SmackDown got a little bit more loaded with tag teams than it was. Yeah, I think the tag teams yeah. are split evenly, is what we said. That's right. Yeah. Said. So, so, but either way, this is you can. This is another sign that you can just have Xavier and Kofi do singles matches. They don't have that aren't involved in a tag team feud. Like you can just, you can just. This is this. This should establish Xavier more as a singles wrestler moving forward. It should, and I hope he does get some of that opportunity. That would be pretty cool to say. Queen's Crown Tournament, we had Zelina Vega versus Dewdrop in the final. Dewdrop caught Vega's kicks, then caught her flying off the top rope. Zelina then countered a move into a Great Tornado DDT for a near fall. She put Dewdrop in a modified Dragon Sleeper, but Dewdrop backed her into the corner. Zelina failed on a Code Red and then got clotheslined. Zelina then avoided a Cannonball in the corner, but Dewdrop caught her for a sidewalk slam and a near fall. Dewdrop hit a running senton for a near fall, then Zelina avoided the running splash and came back with a really awesome and impressive code red, which, by the way, is all on Dewdrop and Piper Nevin making that thing happen for the win in five minutes and 50 seconds. The crowd popped for the finish, and again, when Zelina took the crown and scepter, 
Uh, there was a big announcement of her winning Pyro and more. Same for Xavier Woods, uh, as we mentioned earlier. They made it a moment. They did not let her cut a promo or say anything to the crowd like Xavier basically did. Uh, the crowd didn't care about this match at all into the finish. It was the one match on the whole show they did not care about. But that has nothing to do with the match. WWE did not give them a reason to care or root for either women. There were no storylines. There was no nothing to hang on to. The match at five minutes and 50 seconds went as long as the minimum match should have been for this tournament. Instead, it was the longest of all of them, basically double um, the other longest match. The prior one was that, I think it was a um, Shayna Baszler match that went three minutes. This one's 5.50. So it basically doubled that match. Uh, but yeah, look, I already mentioned that these two were able to wrestle for like 15, 20 minutes a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. They had more in them. We didn't get to see it. It would not have made sense for Dewdrop to win. And Zelina was a great call to be the queen. Was this a make good for not putting her on that Madison Square Garden show? Maybe, maybe not. If so, uh, if it was, it was a weird place to do it, uh, given yeah, the yeah. context in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> Uh, either way, it's a gimmick. It's going to work for her going forward. The match was nothing special. I'll say 2.25 stars in a C. That's extra credit for the finish. And the last thing I'll say before I let you get in here, Chris, the SmackDown Women's Championship match on Crown Jewel went 20 minutes. That was about 30 seconds longer than the entire Queen's Crown tournament combined. Oh my God. Oh my God. So let, let, let this be the last we talk about it. I I mean, it's what I said earlier. There's a way to book women's wrestling and a way not to, and they've done both of them. It's inexplicable. Like you just said, we know these two can go, and it's just unfortunate. Like, this was... I, I liked the matchup as the, the finish to, you know, Zelina Vega, who hasn't really had... Uh, hasn't really been elevated as a singles wrestler since she started wrestling, and Dewdrop, who is new but has been very promising. This this was a great, like, these are going to be the new people who are going to contend for a world championship on their brand when they're done with this. Like, let them showcase that. And instead, we just got another five-minute match. I didn't realize, I, like, looked up, and all of a sudden, Selena had won. I was like, wait, it's already, it's already over? Like, what, what the heck? So, yeah, just, I mean, I, I like, you know, the people who made it at the end. I just, they, they really just deserve a, a better opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's one, like, I wish we could say give the women in WWE a chance because they're not getting a chance. But they are, like, some are. It's just Mm. the rest aren't. And it's really frustrating that there's such a division. It's like they treat the upper card like the men and they treat the lower card worse than dirt. It's so strange Mm -hmm. the way they do it. Um, All right, let's keep going. We got a couple more matches before we get out of here. The Raw Tag Team Championships were on the line. RK Bro against AJ Styles and Omos. Randy Orton uh, walked out normally with Riddle on his scooter, but then Riddle walked away for a moment and came back shocking Orton completely by riding a camel all the way to the ring. And Michael Cole had a really great line about Riddle riding high. He was really high in that moment. Uh, The crowd was going crazy for him and the camel. They absolutely loved it. Riddle countered out of the Styles Clash and tagged uh, Orton, who took out Omas and hit the power slam on Styles. Riddle grabbed Omas's leg as Riddle hung him over the ropes. Orton then caught Styles' phenomenal forearm attempt in midair with an RKO as Riddle tagged in with the floating bro for the win to retain the titles. This was good, but it was way more of a TV match. Uh, it went nine minutes. In fact, 
The Xavier Woods Finn Balor match was also very much a TV match, uh, which is okay. Not every match on a pay per view needs to be a banger, but we know these four guys can do a lot more than they did. Not to take away from it, but with RKO retaining again, I have no idea what they are going to do with Styles and Omos now going forward. They just seem, seem kind of stuck on Raw at this point. I'll give it three stars and a B minus. It just was nothing special. No, the, the only thing that stuck out to me that I really enjoyed was the Omos and Randy Orton face to face. Again, I'm I'm all on the Omos train. He feels like a big deal. Randy did a great job making that feel like a big deal. And yeah, I, I don't know where Omos and AJ go. Um, I, I think we talked about this Tuesday, but I like the idea where they could just be singles wrestlers and kind of be each other's managers from time to time. Like they don't have to be a tag team because, um, uh, you know, AJ Styles is AJ freaking Styles. You know, he he can be put into a world title picture whenever he wants and probably should be pretty soon. Uh, and, and Omos is growing. So we'll see. The camel was fun. Um, kind of a, a fun little deal there. I, um, so this was fine. Kind of it, it was what I it's what we expected, I think, in the end. I thought it was weird when they like showed camels there earlier in the show. I'm like, why are there camels? Yeah. Like you don't just have horses stand in, in in America standing in arenas and then they paid it off. So it was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, we had Mansoor versus Mustafa Ali. This was the second match of the show. Ali ducked out of the ring early, then tricked Mansoor and tripped him on the ring apron. Mansoor escaped the camel clutch, but ate a tornado DDT for a near fall. Ali berated Mansoor, so he got the classic babyface comeback with a cool insiguri, inverted atomic drop, and spinebuster combo. Mansoor dodged Ali's 450 and came back with a release belly-to-belly suplex in the corner. Mansoor then hit a moonsault, but sold the neck that he hurt earlier with a slow cover for a 2.5 count. Ali immediately locked Mansoor in the Koji clutch, but Mansoor reached the ropes. Then he was draped on the bottom rope, uh, but Mansoor was able to avoid a 450 from Ali that came nowhere close to hitting. Mansoor was like on the other side of the ring. Um, Then he flung himself, Mansoor, over the top rope, hitting a neckbreaker on Ali to get the win in 10 minutes. Ali attacked after the match, leading some guy out in full Saudi Arabia um, garb, uh, you know, like the red scarf and the white kind of thing, uh, to slowly walk down the ramp. It turned out to be Olympic silver medal winner in karate, a Saudi Arabian who won this year at the Olympics. The crowd popped massively. Like everyone apparently knew who this guy was. Mm -hmm. He kicked Ali in the head and then he hugged Mansoor, I guess putting him over to the Saudi Arabian crowd and he got a huge ovation. Good match overall. Look, we knew what the booking was going to be. I'd like to have seen a false finish or two for Mansoor to really get the crowd going crazy. It was mostly basic stuff. Ali is a really good wrestler. They came across well. I'll say three stars and a B minus. You know, it just, it wasn't really special. Yeah, it, it, it was fine. Not much more to add about the match. I mean, credit to them, they told the story throughout the last month plus. These guys were a tag team. They couldn't quite get together. They have their breaking up. You do this. That, that's so much better than just Mansoor just popping up, you know, on the Saudi Arabia show, not knowing who he is or a guy who hasn't been around for a few weeks. They, 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 they built into this. So you had a reason to care coming in and, and credit to them for for doing that, because I, I like Mansoor. I think he's got a lot of potential. He's, he's very he's usually very fluid in the ring and stuff like that. So we'll see the, the karate guy, you know, to the point earlier in the show about crowd reactions like that was a that was a, that might have been one of the biggest pops of the night. I was not aware of him. Credit to Michael Cole for immediately telling us who he is. Uh, well, the commentary I, was so funny. They're like. Who like who's this gonna be? Like, there's nothing planned. Corey, do you have anything in your notes? No, no, no. And then like he unveils himself. The crowd goes wild 
And I forgot if it was Corey or Saxton or, or Cole, whoever. Like, do you know who that is? And I think Corey was like, of course I know who that is. That is this guy who no one in the world has ever heard of outside of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> and I was well, just like, like, I mean, yeah. okay, there's no way, Corey, you knew who that was. But okay, no, that's fine. no. But when they say silver medalist at the Olympics, then I'm like, oh, okay, this guy's a big deal. Like, sure. like that, that's all you needed to tell me to make sure this guy was legitimate. And then that kick. Oh, my God. That yeah, was an incredible him. kick. Yeah. He nailed him. That was so fast. Like, it felt like the Mike Tyson punch out of Shawn Michaels. Just boom, out of nowhere, lays him out. Um, that was actually pretty exciting. That was a, that was a nice way to, to cap. Again, you know, we talked about the propaganda aspect of a lot of this stuff for Fran. I, I, I can't speak to, I don't know anything else about this guy, his relationship with the government or anything. I don't know. But that was, that was uh, a pretty cool moment and an, an incredible kick. Sure. And and don't forget, when WWE does international shows anywhere, when they go to Australia, they put the yeah. Australians over, right? Maybe they have mm-hmm. some uh, a footballer or a rugby guy kind of come out. Um, when they go to England, you know, frequently, not always, but frequently they have someone kind of show out to pop the crowd. When they do go back there, there's rumors, by the way, that they may do a SummerSlam over in England next year. Um, I would expect very much Tyson Fury to be there and to get a huge pop when he shows up. Uh, so this was not out of place to have an athlete show up in this type of spot. It popped the crowd, got the crowd hot. That was a good piece of booking. And it wasn't outside of the guy, like taking an hour to walk down the ramp longer than Roman Reigns. Like it took him (laughs) forever to get there outside of that. uh, It was totally fine for them to do that. I tell you, I I thought, I thought it was, um, I thought it was Mace. uh, I thought it was our truth coming out. I thought it was our truth because he had a, he had a shaved line in his eyebrow and I was like, Oh, "Oh, that's our truth. Oh yeah. (laughs) And it wasn't so this is, this is better, though. This is better. Um, it was. Yeah, it was fine. Also, on the kickoff show, there was the Usos against the Hurt Business. I did not get to see this entire thing. What I did see seemed to be very entertaining. It ended with the Usos getting the win with the Usos splash. Obviously, as champions facing challengers that are going to be on a different brand, they had to win. Uh, I don't have a star rating for it, uh, but it seemed to be in that three-star range for an opening match. The crowd seemed pretty hot. Uh, like I mostly listened to it more than watched it. So, unfortunately, I can't give you any more. On that, Chris, did you see that? Did you have any thoughts? I didn't even realize it was a kickoff show until I walked into the room and there was one going on. So I only saw the end of the match, but the end was pretty exciting. And, and again, I, you know, WWE, the Usos, you have so many good tag teams. Uh, I, I'm sure this is pretty good. Uh, I, again, I didn't see it, but I, I trust that these guys put out a, a decent match. Um, and so that's all I kind of got. All right. So that is it for the match analysis part of this instant analysis. Let's get to our post-show poll. Chris, as always, I let you go first. You tell me what you thought of WWE Crown Jewel Blood Money in the Sand 6. I will then give my grade and I will tell you what the listeners thought. I am I'm between an A and an A minus, and it's really, really tough because everything on the show was good. Like nothing was bad. Everything was solid to really, really good to, to great. I the only thing I think of is coming out is how much of this am I gonna remember? Were, were there any moments? Was, was there any big stuff that really stands out that you're always going to like think about when you think about the show? And for like, obviously, Edge and Seth was a great, great match. But but was there was there a was there a moment out of it? I don't know. Honestly, I think the the most memorable part of the show might be Goldberg spearing Lashley off the stage. Like that was like a whoa, that was like a whoa moment. So I'm between the A and the A minus because of that. I'm. I want to say high A minus, but I feel like I might be might be being a bit tough there. I'm right in the same range as you. Um, 
I look at the two main events and we got screw job finishes in both of them. And I'm thinking about that and wondering, because it's both main events where that happened, does it downgrade the greatness on other parts of the show? I mean, I have three matches on this card that I gave 4.5 stars or better. Right. I mean, straight up, that that's that's incredible. That's WrestleMania level or SummerSlam level, right? I think I think I graded WrestleMania better than SummerSlam. Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember. Um, so I'm I'm right where you are. Like, I almost want to grade it out of a hundred more than I want to grade it as an A or an A minus, like a letter grade, right? Like I want to give it like a 94. Yeah, to Is me that- that's about. Where, to me, I'm like 93. I I I go. My grades are are based on the number. So like that 90 to 93 range is an right. A minus to me. Like it was I'm not. It was not an A plus show. It definitely was not. And I don't really think it could have been. It could have. It, it could. Like have everything been. was in place. They, you just obviously there weren't title changes. There there weren't the big moments. If to those me, two right, you're right. If those two matches, last two matches, finished clean, and one of them was a title change then I think this would have been a clear A show, maybe even approaching A plus range. Because that was not the case, I can't go that high on it. But I also can't go low on it because match quality was really good. So I guess 94 out of 100 is what I would grade it, which would probably, I guess, be an A. I think that's the lowest A and the 93 and lower is an A minus. But it really is that 94, 93 range right there. And I gotta say, candidly, I'm shocked. Because even though you and I on the pre-show grade had A minus, because it was Crown Jewel and the history that we've had with these events, I just assumed it wasn't going to deliver. I just, for some reason, I thought, oh, the matches are going to be short. They're going to try to shove it inside of three hours. Um, They'll do something screwy with the Queen's Crown match. You know, whatever the case, right? But it, it was not the case. They actually gave us a legitimate top three, top four quality pay-per-view of the year. And every match delivered, even those that didn't ha- that, that had screw job finishes. So I think we're right on that same page, 94, 93 grade, AA minus right in that range. I'll tell you, Chris, our listeners, the getting overheads, uh, following us on Twitter at getting overcast, they agreed. Uh, I asked for the final grade for WWE Crown Jewel, 74% said A, 22% said B, 2.4% said C, and 1.6% said D or F. And obviously, those are total bullshit. Um, so I think well, that's... Well, no, I, I mean, you you can still hate on it for the whole Saudi Arabia thing, like we said. But if you watch if the you're show, objectively you probably... Grading, but if you're objectively if you grading the, the card, show, you probably... Right. But if you watch the show, you were probably okay enough with it too great, to, you know, to do that. To give it It'd at least to watch the show. To, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, you can't. Yes, look again. We're, our grades are our analysis is of the wrestling. You know, we're not. I'm not a. I'm not a political expert. You know, uh, this isn't my job. Um, I I don't love that I watched and, enjoy, and enjoyed this show. I don't love the deal that WWE has. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I, I criticize it as offhandedly as I can uh, whenever we talk about it. But I also have to call good wrestling good when I see it. I don't care where right. it is. Um, this is know, purely the, about this is purely about the effort the wrestlers put on. Yeah, totally. And and, and the booking of the show. And right? the booking. In the booking. Th- that yeah. all matters. So again, listeners came in 74% A, uh, 22% B. That to me is it's right there. It's it's the AA minus grade. Probably an A minus is, is what it would be. We're all basically on the same page here. Does that surprise you at all? 
Um, no, because it was good. It was just it was objectively good wrestling. I I think, I think I I think I gave Money in the Bank an A. That was the show I was at, and that's a show again that had a couple moments like John Cena showing up at the end. And I think that's that was basically the difference for me between an A minus and an A was just having a couple of those moments. But this this was a WrestleMania card. We we we've, we've said it before. Um. It was the only show of the month, so they were going to properly build up to it. And the result is a good wrestling show in, in a despicable situation. For sure. And by the way, uh, based on how things look right now, if we were to play this forward to Survivor Series, we have Roman Reigns versus Big E. We have Charlotte Flair versus Becky Lynch. Two pretty damn good matches for Survivor Series to kick things off. Yep. Yep. And I, and I know we had, we had wanted, I think, Bloodline versus uh, New Day, but Roman Big E on its own is, is also going to be really good. I mean, we could still potentially get that. New Day is on that show. You know, they can talk mm-hmm. them. It could end up being a six-man instead of a one-on-one. I'd be okay well, with we it. Already, we already, I mean, we already got it on the one Monday Night Raw, which is why I, I think kind one of the reason they're not doing it. But yeah, we kind of got it. But yes, that's yeah, true. Yeah, we kind of got it. That's, that's true. Uh, okay, so that is our instant analysis of WWE Crown Jewel, a.k.a. Blood Money in the Sand 6. I appreciate all of you listening to this show on a three-show week, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. That is very rare here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. The good news about all of this is Vintage Chris Vanini and the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. We get some time off. We are not back until Tuesday. Uh, When we see you on Tuesday, we'll be talking all things WWE from the season premieres of SmackDown and Raw. So... A lot should happen. The new rosters begin. That should be a pretty loaded show, even though we are coming off a pay-per-view. It's going to be pretty interesting to see now what WWE does as it begins its build for Survivor Series. Then on Wednesday or Thursday next week, I'm not exactly sure about the day, we will do our AEW and NXT episode because AEW Dynamite this week, once again, will be on Saturday night when Chris and I are both working our full-time jobs that unfortunately take precedence over this Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Uh, So please, folks, I hope you enjoyed this instant analysis. And if you did, which I know you did, please do not forget that the Getting Over Wrestling podcast... So do us a favor. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Leave those five-star ratings and reviews for us wherever you're listening to this podcast. Most of you on Apple Podcasts, hit that five-star button. Tell people why you love the show, why they should listen, why they should subscribe. It only takes 30 to 60 seconds. I know how many of you listen to this podcast. I know how many reviews we have. There is a large gap there. Please fill up that gap. I would greatly appreciate it. Also, do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thanks again to Chris for joining me on Thursday afternoon. Thanks again to all of you for listening. For Vintage, this is the Silver King, leaving you with three final words. Bye for now.